Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Depends on when you're watching or listening to this podcast. So you know what? Today's podcast is a, a serious topic, subject matter. I know a lot of podcasts out there are, and I know a lot of them that I do are serious as well. But before we get into that seriousness, I have another serious thing to to talk to you about, to mention. How many of you out there have pets, cats, dogs, cows, fish, I don't know, but mainly cats and dogs. So depending on the time of the year that you're, again, listening or watching this, whether it's summer or winter, right now we're going to be coming into the winter season, you want to do your best to keep your pets warm. Now, if it's an outdoor dog, you know, and if they have a dog house, you might think, well, that's good enough. Well, the ground gets cold, you know, and then it makes that dog house cold. What you want to do, really, if you have a dog house outside, whether it be summertime or wintertime, put it up on blocks. Get it at least three inches up, maybe six inches. You don't have to go much higher than that. It allows some air circulation underneath. And also, if it's cold out, it won't have that cold, cold, frozen ground, you know, freezing and keeping the floor of the doghouse cold so please keep that in mind the other thing too is remember have your pets spayed or neutered it helps there are so many cats and dogs out there that are euthanized every single month of the year unbelievable in the numbers i don't know the numbers but you check i mean it's in the thousands and thousands i mean not just like ten thousand type of thing we're talking thousands so please do your part and have your pets spayed or neutered. If you don't do it, keep it locked behind the gate. Don't let it jump over the fence and hump another dog or whatever, you know? You know where I'm getting at with that. All right, so anyhow, today's topic is about suicide, teen suicide, young person suicide, suicide in general. But my guest, Sally Raymond, she's still grieving over the loss of her son who committed suicide, and he was just... 23 years old now he did this back in 1991 now we're in 2023 right now approaching 2024 and as i said she is still grieving many people out there who have lost somebody to suicide they they are the survivor but they are you know i'm just going to say it this way living dead because they they grieve and, and it's just such a long grieving process. People handle it in different ways. Others are able to deal with it. Others can't. Some find ways to work around, you know, their uh, emotions, how they're feeling, but they lock it up. And it has an effect on them uh, in many, many different ways. Some in positive ways because the, it, it will help other people with their stories, such as this one with Sally. Uh, we're going to talk about you know some of the warning signs now she's she's a psychotherapist you might wonder well why is it that she didn't see the signs you know what what happened we're going to talk about that so we're going to get into it she also has another son so stick around listen to this podcast i think you're going to find it very informative and again if any of you out there that are watching and listening if you're depressed if you have suicidal thoughts or you know, just in that depressed state of mind, please seek help. There's, there are hotlines. There are people that can help you. There are a lot of free resources. So do that because suicide is not the answer. 
because it affects more than just you. You might be saying to yourself, I'm hurting. I need to get out of this pain. Well, it will affect those who love you, who care for you. And then it affects those other people around those people. It's an exponential growth. It just, it blossoms. The other way to do this is find help. When you can find that help and you make it through, you actually have the power to help others. And that will exponentially grow and reach out to so many people. So you're not alone. Thanks for listening. And please listen to this podcast and like, share and follow. It really helps. Thank you. If you're only, I'm only 80 years old, so um, I want to make as much, I want to do as much good as I can before I die. <laughs> Are you, you're 80? Mm-hmm. You look fabulous. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> wow. I'll well, take it. <laughs> that's, before we get started, I need to ask, what's your secret? <laughs> Uh, well, I haven't done anything except probably just really learn to live in the moment. Yeah. If you live in the moment, you escape anxiety, you escape depression, and you're always present. And I don't think there's any age associated with the present moment. And so far, so good. Yes. <laughs> would you would you throw in there having a purpose? Um, well, you know, absolutely. You know, but that's something that evolves. You can't mm -hmm. force it. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I know today's topic is really uh, a very, very important one. I mean, not not to diminish your, you know, less than any other things, but this, this one is, and I'm just going to say up front, forgive me if, if anything I come across or say seems to be insensitive or questions you don't like, I don't mean it to come across that way, but I just want to pose questions and find out because again, this is important and people, people need to hear the questions and answers because sometimes you don't want to ask and you don't want to know but there is a need and we're, we're really talking about we're talking about suicide and i think probably more specifically uh young adults because um, one of the statistics you put out there uh for me to look at was between the ages of what was it uh 15 and 24 is the second highest um killer for for the young age but what is amazing is the 25 to 34 is the highest. Yeah. Yeah. We're in a tremendous crisis right now. And it's not about what's going on inside the people. It's what we can do to make a difference. And honestly, Chuck, the harder the question, the better I can, I can step up. And so okay. don't feel any compunction whatsoever. Go for it. I'm, okay. I'm not this old for nothing, and I want to make 
meaning out of everything as much as I humanly can. And if I don't get the hard questions, I won't get the you won't get the good answers. Your your son took his life, um, you know, over thirty years ago. But it, it still doesn't make a difference. The time does not change that fact. Um, it's Never. back in nineteen ninety one, and he was just twenty three years old. Um, before we get to that part, can you kind of explain a little bit about who you are? Because you're a psychotherapist and, you know, sometimes people go, well, why didn't you know? Why didn't they know? And that kind of thing. Or even as a parent, why didn't he or she and mom or dad notice? But can you give an explanation of who you are and the wonderful, you know, son that you, you, I'm going to use the words still have. I still have. Yep. So yeah, the wonderful person have. he is. Um, and then, you know, then we'll take it from there. Okay. I'm more than happy to, I'm, like I say, I'm an open book. Uh, I'm just a, a Santa Barbara native. I was a tomboy growing up. I uh, had only guys in my neighborhood to play with, and that was great because at five years old, my mother said, she whispered to me, go with the guys. They have more fun. <laughs> <laughs> and they do. And I really appreciated being able to be one with them and, you know, build the tree houses and fall out of every tree and go swimming every day. And um, the whole scene at Santa Barbara where you have the beach, you have the mountains, you have the ocean, uh, and you have the city. And so it's a pretty miraculous place to be. But uh, so I had a fairly what I thought it was a pretty ideal related, uh, uh, childhood. Uh, I was uh, very uh, nerdy and I was also very uh, shy and so I was um, the ugliest girl in school by far and um, I uh, the, the only boy who ever asked me out called and took it back Wow! <laughs> <laughs> and I thought wow if um, this is the worst that can happen. It's going to have to get better. <laughs> and it did. It really did. But uh, that was a shock. But it also helped force me out of my shell and, and really try to do things that would make my life more meaningful and connected to other people. And it took a while. Um, I married young. I had uh, uh, two boys. Uh, in a row and wanted, they were wanted, I wanted them, but I only had barely a high school education and my husband shouldn't have had a, had a, a diploma at all, but he did. Um, but so all I wanted were happy, dumb kids because I figured that's all I could, I could handle. Unfortunately, I got a genius from the beginning. And I didn't know he was a genius. I thought he was crazy because he did nothing that the baby book said he was supposed to do. So I brought him to the doctors and I said, he's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and the doctors just sat there looking at him going, isn't he cute? And I was like, no, he's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and it was at one hand his second birthday uh, he, we were passing a gas station in our car, and behind, as we passed it, I heard him go in his car seat. He said in his car seat, he went, Ta-X-A-Co. And I just was like, oh, my God. 
no two-year-old is supposed to read. Um, I thought, that's it. No more Sesame Street for you because I didn't <laughs> teach you how to read. <laughs> and at that point, I recognized that he wasn't crazy. He was just way, way, way ahead of everything. And so I, um, I ended up a single mom and I was trying to keep my head of household status with a genius who at seven years old was giving me 45 minute debates on why he didn't need to make his bed <laughs> and, he was, and he was winning. <laughs> and I realized I had to go back to school to try and keep up with this little guy because otherwise he was going to take over the house and I was going to be out you know, one of the homeless. And so I went to school and then I real found out the hard way that I couldn't get a B because I got one and I brought, I came home. I was very proud because I'd been a C student in high school. And um, I came home and I said, you won't believe what I got. I had two grades. I got an A and a B and I said, I got an A and a B. And he looked at me like I died and he went, you got a B. And I ended up on the on the couch in the fetal position as he was singing and dancing, Mom is a boy, Mom is a bee, all around me. And I was like, I'll never give you that chance again <laughs> if I can help it. <laughs> so I continued in school, but at, at uh, 14, he was teaching calculus. At 16, he was in Carnegie Mellon in theoretical math. And in wow. four years, he had both his bachelor's and master's awarded simultaneously. He was the most incredible rocket ship of a guy I've ever seen in my life. He did nothing wrong. He just did too well. And a year and a half later, he killed himself. I want to ask also, because you had a, another child as well. Yes. And how was that child? Uh, he was an, a year and a half younger and mm -hmm. he was the little brother to a genius. Not the greatest place to be if you're trying to develop yourself because you can't compete. Right. You're younger, you're smaller, you don't know as much and your brother can really be hard on you. And he was, John was hard on his little brother. Um, there are reasons for that, that I wrote in the book. Um, but at the same time, uh, Brett had it very difficult. He ended up in special ed when he started school. Um, he had, uh, they had said he had um, learning disabilities and speech impediments. I didn't see anything wrong with him, but that's what they said and I couldn't do anything. And at the, all this time, I'm just a mom. I'm just, just a mom, you know, uh, working full time, taking care of my mom who had Alzheimer's and raising my kids and going to school. And um, it was tough. But uh, anyway, um, but my youngest son said it all to me when John died and we were on the way to his memorial. He said, Mom, as long as John was alive, I knew I was part of a really smart family. And he didn't think he was smart initially, but he knew he had the same genes. Mm -hmm. And his brother showed him what could happen. 
and and uh, at 14 years old he turned his whole life around and went from a D average to an A um, by uh, being the biggest truant that Santa Barbara ever, High School ever had and going to the beach every day and making me madder than a pistol every single time. And uh, what I didn't know though is he had a book with him called Getting Straight A's, which he read and reread and reread every day at the beach. And when he went back to school, he went from a D to an A, went through uh, City College and um, Cal Poly in aeronautical design engineering and ended with an offer from Lockheed, which he turned down saying, I don't want to be an engineer. And he ended up uh, going into computer science. And he ended up uh, as one of the heads of all three Lord of the Rings uh, virtual effects. Wow. So uh, that's, my, that's him. That's his story. But he's so, we've never gotten over his brother. So I, I, I wanted to ask that, and I wanted you to talk about Brett because of the fact that you know, you have one who, as you put, is a genius, very, very smart, highly intelligent. But then people ask and question, well, why that one? Why not the one that, why anybody first, but why is it that that smart one? Didn't they know better type of thing? What struggles, there, you know? Well, honestly, Chuck, that's such a good question. You think, you know, it's hard to be an edge. First of all, you think you know better because your schools keep giving you feedback. You keep getting feedback that you're right, you're right, you're right. You get straight A's, you get straight A's, and you think you know. You don't. Mm -hmm. it, it puts you at risk because you think it, it, it deludes you into thinking you know more than you do. And it doesn't give you any resilience skills. Meanwhile, you also get attacked by your your peers because you're constantly raising the the uh, curve, and they don't like it, and they don't like you because you're the one doing it, and it's making them fall behind and 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 uh, have to face the fact that they aren't going to get the kind of uh, opportunities you will. I'm glad you said that, and are saying that because. Um... I think honestly too, the, well, although this happened 30 plus years ago, mm -hmm. I think things are a little bit different, but they are the same. Okay. And it, it's as far as suicide and the, and the reasons. But mm -hmm. I think like you're saying with the bright, with a bright person, very smart person, they begin to think that, okay, I know, I know. Whereas opposed to, I think personally, nowadays what happens, or what has happened with the youth is they don't know, but right. it's it's their parents. I'm, I'm not putting blame, but I'm kind of putting blame, if that makes sense, where people have said, everything's okay. I'll take care of it. Don't worry. So now when idea. something happens, they don't know how to deal with it, which is similar to, I think, if you're so bright, you think you're right and now right. people aren't as bright because somebody said i'll take care of it don't worry and if something happens they don't know how to deal with it and the only way to deal with it is that split moment of insanity which means that you and your life is over yeah uh, and, and, and i'm this, sorry that we jumped so far ahead 
no, no, that's really, it's so important you said that, Chuck, because what we don't teach in school is what's setting everyone up for faults. And that's what, after John died, I, I was becoming a psychotherapist just as he did this. Hmm. So I had never had the skills that I now have that I had just when he died. And so I was, I was still just a mom then. And so it was only when, on, on about the same time he died is when I was being licensed as a psychotherapist with the skills that I should have had before if I were going to survive and, and be able to know what to do to help him if I'd even known. Right. But what's, what's, what, I, what hit me afterward is that nobody's schools are not teaching social emotional skills. They teach to IQ, but they're completely leaving EQ for parents who had never been taught it either. And it's a setup. It's a setup for kids to not know how to deal with their emotions, with difficulties, with uh, peers, relationships, uh, nonverbal communication, uh, bullying, all of this stuff is a product of the fact that we don't know how to learn. We don't teach children to get along. We don't teach that those skills and parents aren't good at teaching it either. Right. So the, to be the guy on the other side, I would say the reason I ask about your growing up is I wanted to sort of establish maybe not as much as what the youth of today is, but you're still faced with it. But I think our parents are back at that time. It was you face it and you deal with it right. and you learned how to deal with it and you learned the emotions and the, uh, uh, the consequences and everything that came along with it. Where yeah, I think we now we yeah. they don't we, we don't. We, we have helicopter parents and now lawnmower parents who do it, take, make sure that kids aren't going to ever face any difficulty whatsoever. And they're going to, you know, do all kinds of shenanigans to make sure that their kids are untouched by mm -hmm. life. And that's the biggest mistake I can think of because there's no way they can, they are being con continually, consistently kept from the very dynamics that'll help us grow and become. Yeah, it, it's, they're growing up in a bubble. Yeah. Uh, pretty much. But I, I also want to make sure that people know that this was not the situation with your son, with, with John, like this. It was a little well, bit different for him. Well, it, it was different for him, but you also, I mean, in my book I talk about that um, he was molested at four. And I caught, I caught it immediately, but I didn't, I, it had already happened. I put that kid in Chino for three years, but it didn't help my son, you know? Um, and, and so that's something that he, he, he was holding all this time. And, um, and other things happened as well, but nothing, uh, yeah. But at the same time, there were, there were some serious hits he took. But had I only known what I know now, I would have known so much better uh, how to deal with it and help him you know, work through it and resolve it and all that. I never had those tools back then. And my husband was cheap and said, no, we're, we're not going to do anything about it. We're just going to uh, let him deal with it, which was not a great answer. 
this is going to be one of those tough questions maybe to answer mm-hmm. but do you feel that that it, that's a tragedy would happen at the age of four yeah um, do you feel though sometimes um when we bring things up or we say you need to relive it or let's talk about it that it it makes it worse because the child at first didn't know it was wrong now rather than kind of talking about it talking through it and say you don't want to do that I, yeah. i'm not making light of this but no. when you throw it in and you really this is wrong this is bad this is not sometimes it almost seems like a child could feel oh it was my fault and i'm ashamed oh, now and now they'll carry it with them forever so i think it's so it, there's such a borderline as to you know what is enough what's not enough and where how do you approach this type of thing so absolutely it's such a, that's so critical and it's so hard to know mm-hmm. but um he did know it he, i mean he came home and the whole he, i just said you know go meet he wanted to go meet some new people and i said you know stay within two three houses and fine because i could see him and watch him but then he disappeared and it turns out he'd gone a house too far mm-hmm. and that's and I, I mean, I'll never forgive myself for that. But um, he came back with his face pure white, and he was in shock. Yeah. And so I knew immediately that something horrible had happened, and I forced him to take me to where, where it was, and the boy was there, and I saw him. And so I called the police. But um, meanwhile, he suffered a horrific shock, especially for a bright kid who's yeah. really, really good, and, and, and he gets so much, your, your antenna are way out far, so you really pick up stuff, and he felt that he'd been ruined. Mm. And and he couldn't seem to get past them. And so I wanted to take him to a therapist, and my husband was like, no way. But um, he there was a time when he didn't want to talk about it anymore. He didn't, he just shut down. And that was fine. I mean, that's uh, his prerogative. But mm-hmm. it's a, such a touchy subject. It's so tough. It's hard to know what, what the right answer is, for sure. Yeah. Um, I know I don't need to say this to you, but I'm just going to say it just to say it so people hear it. And, you know, you can blame yourself, but you don't blame yourself, if that makes sense. Uh, it's, you know, it's... I'm not a parent, but... I know that you cannot be the lawnmower, the helicopter. Well, you know, you, you can't hover over them 24-7. Sometimes they have to go out, but it's, I cannot imagine the, the emotions that you went, went through uh, well, at yeah, that point Well, yeah, and I still do. I mean, yeah. there's no way I can ever escape this because I was the mom, and it's my job to keep my kids safe. And I was painting his room because we just moved into his house and we did he had lost all of his friends from his old neighborhood and he wanted to meet some new people and i was like we're in a cul-de-sac and i could see every single house around my cul-de-sac and i was like i'd already met most of the people there and i knew they were fine and i was like you know this that's fine as long as i can see you you know we're good but then he disappeared i looked down to paint something i looked up he was gone and that's where i'll never forget and never never forgive myself for that and I, I should I have gone see. with him I should have walked with him 
that's all I needed to do, and I didn't. And nobody had told me that there was, you know, a, a real, real dangerous kid just a yeah. few doors away. I, I can understand and I can see how a, a parent, an adult, um, could blame themselves f for a long time and then for an outcome if, if their child commits suicide where they could look back and go, I wonder if I would have prevented that from 20 years ago if this would have never happened. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I later, later on, I want to talk mm -hmm. about the survivor, people like you, you know, what they go through and what they can do to help themselves. But uh, I, I want folks to know that you, you do have a book and your book is called The Son I, I Knew Too Late, A Guide to Help You Survive and Thrive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, folks can go to Barnes and Noble. They could go to Amazon. They can also go to your website. Okay. That's just sallyraymond.com, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, sallyaraymond.com. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> It's one letter, but it's it's it, it, it's it, it's there. <laughs> it's an important letter because yeah. if but you don't put I, that SallyARaymond.com, <laughs> you're not going to get to your website. Yeah. And you know the one thing is, there there is help out there for people who are thought about or contemplating suicide and things like that. There are a lot of suicide prevention hotlines, and you have a lot of these. Um, national hotlines local hotlines everything all listed at your website so so people should go there young and old if you're thinking about it or even if you're not thinking about that go here and just be aware right. um uh, we kind of talked around this but you know when that happens a suicide who is to blame i i um, it, you know, I don't have a good answer for that. I mean, it, I feel like a lot of times we, our environment, it's the environment. I think that the way we're handling our, our, our children's lives and our lives and in society have so many different difficult places that kids fall down into and some never come back yeah. and that's one of the reasons i wrote the book because i wanted to there was uh when when i finally became a psycho a psychotherapist i i had in my training there had been one book that i'd read by dr eric erickson that just blew my mind because it's talking about your a child's development from birth on at every stage into old age and what is what the need is the core need inside of us that we don't even we can't even uh, articulate you don't even know it's there but there is a a core need that has to be addressed in a positive way for the child to keep growing and and emancipate mm -hmm. and if it isn't if it isn't met it can fall into a negative that can be you can define what it is and that will only undermine the child and little by little what i was what i found out the hard way after my son died is through looking through that uh dr erickson's uh the scale i could see exactly where my son fell from a positive to a negative and as he was rising like a like a uh, um like a, a rocket ship 
he was hollowing out and I didn't see it. Mm. I just uh, saw the rocket ship. I was going to say, because you saw the bright shining star mm -hmm. and you were just blinded by yes. in awe of his yes. accomplishments. So. Yeah. But he was really trying to show that he was worthy by mm -hmm. going past all, all the, past everything to do it. But in the meantime, he, he, you know, he, he didn't have a lot of the social emotional skills because he was so intellectual. Yeah. He was fully intellectual, but nobody had taught him how to regulate his own emotions, how to deal with negative people, how to deal with negative, um, uh, you know, situations, not uh, how to um, think critically in ways and talk in ways that will, you know, um, make people appreciate the negative feedback you give them, how to uh, use nonverbal uh, communication, understand it. How, there's so many things we're not teaching yeah. that this is where kids are falling. And then I think the curve artificially creates competition between kids where a few kids are going to stand out like John and the rest are going to be way below in some at some echelon and there's only going to be this artificial division that's going to create negative feelings between them because they're going to be jealous they're going to be angry they're going to feel hopeless they're going to feel you know like they can't win they can't measure up and all of that is unnecessary it's a function of the way we're grading. Mm -hmm. If we grade by, it's called criterion reference grading, and it's where you're just in competition with yourself. That way everybody could potentially get an A. You know, if we did that, it would change the whole complexion of school. And well, then there that, wouldn't be, there is wouldn't be. Is that a be. good thing though? Is it, well, because I that's almost like, because that would almost be, to me, it's almost like the, uh, the parent who says everything's okay because now what if I'm actually doing D work if by standards but I'm getting an A because it's an A to me if we're yeah. doing a K through 12 type of situation or is there yeah. something more that we can do to help help the kids well I I I um I was a product of the curve and mm -hmm. um at the time it wasn't there wasn't so much competition and you know alienation and hopelessness and you know acting out and bullying and that kind of thing but now there is i don't like the curve because of that because it really does create that kind of schism where kids are going to feel like they're going to be angry at these people and it's just going to cause trouble and so i i've had a class i had a class in college which was where it was criterion reference, where everybody could potentially get an A. And the whole class was bonded, they were friendly, everybody liked each other. There was none of that feeling that you get in school or you're, you know, you're this and they're that and, you know, and, and there's none of those negative feelings in between. And uh, it means that, but, you know, if the standards are high enough, you know, you really do, either you're going to study hard and, and do well and be able to get the grade or you won't, you know, and it's, and I like the fact that it's just all about you being pit, pitted against your own history mm -hmm. and, and you're and not. And so I, I consider that more democratic. See, 
I, I kind of like what you were saying earlier, where I think schools need to um, schools need to have a curriculum or something in social human behavior and how we can deal with negativity. Um, my fear is if, if we make it to where um, you grade yourself, kind of, sort of, is 20 years, 30 years down the road, what are our engineers going to be like? And then, you know, I, I know I'm stepping out of bounds on this one, but, you know, that's where we're kind of sort of at right now in a way where people go, how come everybody from that country is over here? How come everybody from that? How? And we're going, they really are smarter because they have a, a work ethic. But I absolutely believe what you said, that we need to have something in place in schools where they, they, they talk about how to deal with your emotions. And if I may add one more thing from what I had done in, it sounds like I'm very similar to you, shy growing up in certain things. I knew certain things I wanted to do but didn't do for one reason or another. But I've always had a list of positive negatives, meaning things I know about myself to be true and things I know about myself to be false. I had them all on the paper, but mentally. So that way, if somebody said something to me, bullied me, called me a name, I went down my mental checklist and went, oh, that's right. So it doesn't bother me. Or that's not right, because I know it's not right. So therefore, it doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. But That's, that's uh, very advanced. You're, you're way ahead of the, the curve, kid. I really like that. Um, uh, what it, I do, what, yeah. what I've done, uh, because that's exactly what I, I identified right away after he died, that that was a key piece that was missing, that young people are falling into this hole that we're creating. And yes. so by teacher invitation, every year I'm invited into classrooms uh, to teach social emotional skills. And so I walk in, honestly, Chuck, and the, the kids' eyes are dead. They're just dead. They're all talking to each other. They could care less about what the teacher's saying. And uh, there was one teacher who uh, let me come in and he, he introduced me to the class by saying, these kids will be lucky to get a job at McDonald's. And I thought, boy, that's a bad teacher. <laughs> I mean, if that's what he thinks about his kids, I mean, that's what he's gonna lead to. And I was like, that's pretty pathetic. But I went in and I started teaching, you know, how to speak, how to, you know, how to hold yourself, how to, uh, you know, em uh, show you feel your emotions and yet control them, uh, how to how to handle interactions with people, how to uh, how to think, how to, um, you know, talk, how to uh, all these things. And um, eight weeks later, you couldn't stop their hands from rising. And um, you couldn't believe the light in their eyes. And, and uh, they had to go out and compete against 103 schools nationwide uh, because they were a virtual enterprise class. And these were at-risk kids. They went out and competed in Washington, DC. And when they came back, they had swept five of the seven categories. Wow. <laughs> and when <laughs> the teacher saw me next he said this is impossible and I said no it's not this is a failure of your educational system if I can do this in eight weeks there's just no excuse and yeah. I I know it works so for 20 years I've been teaching this and I know if John had had a class like this 
he would have been a whole lot more balanced. He would have had a lot more resources and he would have been able to handle things in a better way. And I believe he'd still be here. Yeah, that's one thing you just said resources. Today we have, everybody has so much more resources than that was available 30 years ago. However, there is so much more garbage that you have to be able to sift through. So that, that in itself is a difficult thing, whether you're an adult or uh, a child, because you might, one child might read something that says suicide is the best way. It solves everything. Where another one says, no, you know, it, suicide is a selfish act. It is not the best way out because you're going to hurt other people as well. And you have a life and you are a beautiful person. Sometimes I think people use those words so too loosely, so they're not really held with any, um, what do I want to say, held with any esteem or pride. They just take it as words. But, you know, I think people should really know that what we used to say, remember back in the day, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So if you think you're ugly, you're only thinking you're ugly because you're telling yourself. Don't listen to somebody else because you're always, somebody is always going to, Think that you are beautiful and that somebody could just be you but that's mm -hmm. all that matters is right. how you feel about yourself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. yeah that's a good point because years it took me years and years to wonder why i thought i i, I was so ugly when i was growing up and it was because i thought i was yeah, we we are so critical of ourselves and you know a lot i think a lot of times people either don't want to do something or shy away they're, they're saying i think they're looking at me we are not that important where everybody is looking at us or concerned so don't worry about what the other person that you think that they're thinking do your best and what you feel most comfortable absolutely uh, yeah i uh, what one thing i love to do is dance and i mean for and uh, for the last since 1972, so 50 some years. Um, one thing that really helps you get over yourself and and just really learn how, and really have a blast and learn what's, what you're capable of and a whole lot of other wonderful things is uh, Greek dancing because Greeks love, love to dance and they dance their feelings mm -hmm. and they dance it in lines. And you are going to make mistakes. You're going to hit, you're going to, you know, because every dance has many different steps and the, and the leader is the one calling when you're going to do a different thing. And if you miss it, you're going to run into people <laughs> 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 and they're going to run over you and keep going. And, uh, but at the same time, it makes you lose your fear of what other people think. And they, uh, Greeks love, the more you're an idiot sticking out, the more they love you. And so the worse you are, the better it's going to be. Everybody's going to love you even more. And so uh, Greek dancing has been a way for me to get over myself and just have a wonderful time and get to be a pretty good dancer. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you mentioned dancing because that is something, whether you're in uh, junior high, high school, or an adult going to a nightclub, you want to dance, and then you see somebody out there dancing by themselves. Your first thought is, look at that crazy person, or that's dumb. But then you're, honestly, I think most people are thinking, that person's got some kahunas. They are out there. I wish I could do that. But the only thing that's stopping that person saying, I wish I would or could, 
is themselves. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And if and you're not afraid, you'll go out and have a wonderful time and you win no matter what. And either yep. people can laugh at you and think you're an idiot and that's fine. Or else they can say, wish that they were up there doing the same thing. And you know, so, yeah. yeah, I think deep down, all of those people who might who may be laughing at the person deep mm -hmm. down, they are saying to themselves, I wish I had the courage to go out there and do that. So, <laughs> yeah, so I'm a crazy dancer and, and that's uh, something I embrace. It has helped save my life. You know, that was something I mean, when John died, uh, I died with him. You yeah. can't survive. And uh, I was just becoming a psychotherapist and I had to save my own life. And that is an ongoing thing. Yes, um, you as the survivor, um, you carry burdens, um, self-imposed burdens. You carry the memories, the mm -hmm. sadness, everything. So how does somebody, the survivor, a parent or you know the um a friend of the the person they lost how do they survive what is it that they can do you really i i mean for first of all for me i found that i had to change every single thing in my house hmm. i could not live in that house it was full of a mausoleum of memories of his life and his death and I it was killing me it was actually physically destroying me because it just broke my heart wherever I looked outside inside or anywhere and so what I did first of all was that um not, not exactly first but along with this other thing I um started um I learned how to tile and I started tiling everything in a way that made his, his, his home, instead of a mausoleum, it was a celebration of his life. And that was my whole purpose is to create a celebration of his life, not a mausoleum holding his death. And so basically I've tiled every single surface in my house, <laughs> inside and out, I've become pretty good. I've been told I have a, a career if I wanted, but <laughs> that's not it. But I mean, I had to take out my whole backyard and, and re completely reimagine it and do all the work myself by hand because I had to do this physically. I had to lay every tile physically. I had to dig out every single thing and do it all over again. I needed to do that to heal myself. That was just my, 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 my home. And then I also had to heal my body because it had, it just took hit after hit. I was getting precancerous conditions. All kinds of things were just falling to pieces. And that's when I had a boyfriend and he said, let's, let's go work out. And he took me to an aerobics class and I'd never seen one before. I sat there looking at all these girls dancing for no reason, going nowhere, wasting so much energy for nothing. And I was like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. And then I realized 
my job was to dance for no reason. And that I had to do that. And as I did, the music, the beat, the other people brought me back to here, brought me back to now, and made my started making my body stronger and more in sync with everybody else. And all that vibrational stuff just gave me a new lease on life. It really healed my body, it healed my mind, it healed my heart. I came back to, to, to life with, by dancing. And so for me, dancing was the way I lived. I, I, I survived. I even wrote a speech once called Dance is Life. And <laughs> I uh, wore my belly dance costume and I walked downstairs with a coat over it and I just threw the coat off and started talking and that was a pretty fun speech. <laughs> uh, so yeah. I'd like to ask you because like you said you made drastic changes to your home, tiling and your backyard and everything. When you were going through this and when you were doing it, were you saying to yourself, I'm doing this for you, John, or was this a, you know, a a thing where you knew you had to do it to keep busy. You're not doing it for the person, but you're doing it for yourself to to be able to deal with. Does that make any sense? Oh, totally. Actually, I did it for him. I wanted to create a celebration of his life. Okay. It was like, this is a monument. And um, that was how I initially uh, envisioned it and started working. But as I did, I realized it was really for me. Okay. because it gave me a new a new world to live in that didn't have all those negative terrifying horrible memories of that of all the wonderful times that would never be again you know and it 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 it, it just kind of um what do you say it, it, it just kind of turned me you know from the inside out it just reshaped my life and and gave me a new beginning with him in it Okay. And I, I go to his grave twice a year, have uh, since 1991. And you know, every time I go, I have, I have a duty. I have a mission. And my mission is to tell him what I've done for him and ask for, ask for, ask for my next assignment. And every time something incredible happens there and i don't know how to explain it except that i believe he's still here um i'm not a psychiatrist psychologist <laughs> psychotherapist neuroscientist or anything like that but what i um want to add is every one of us deal with these things in a different way some mm -hmm. things are going to be similar so mm -hmm. if you're listening if you're watching and, and if you're saying um i can't do what sally does or something mm -hmm. like that don't worry you'll you'll find your way uh i also want to ask you and add to this where sometimes like you said you're doing it for the person who is deceased you're making you don't want to build a mausoleum and entomb yourself in that right, meaning right. that you do it for the person and then now you've stopped in time you have to be able to go past it like sally did you, you that's how you started but then you realize i'm doing this for me i'm doing this for us um so i i just wanted to add that because i think a lot of times people take things literally and then they'll try that 
and then they, they it, become stagnant. That's where they right. live. There's many ways, but every, and it's all good, but you, you have to transform the negative into a positive. Mm -hmm. Every negative, even my son's death, has had a positive effect. I am the vehicle by which I am turning his negative, that a negative into a positive thing for other people. And as I do, that's my mission. I can't save him, but I can save others. And so that's why I also wrote the book. That's another piece that I, I had because now I had the tools I've never had as a mother. I could start to look back and see what where I might have gone wrong or where my where where things happened that I I could have changed. And as I did, I realized that none of those things that ever happened to John are dead. They're all happening to young people right now. And I couldn't be John's mom or a psychotherapist if I didn't tell his story in a way that would help others survive what he didn't. And it starts at birth and it goes on and on and on all the way to old age. And so you know, that was my job and it took 28 years, Chuck, but I finally finished. I had an angel come to my life who was an editor, a fabulous editor. And she and I fought every week over every word and she always won. <laughs> <laughs> and it's out on Amazon now and I feel like that was part of what I could do to to honor my son in a way that would honor others. Yeah, once again, uh, your book is The Son I Knew Too Late, a guide to help you survive and thrive. And again, it is available on Barnes and Noble. Uh, you can go to Amazon. You could definitely go to SallyARaymond.com. Um, you're wonderful, Jack. I just love you. You have the greatest smile, and you really think things through, and I'm just so impressed. Well, thanks. It's Well, you know, this is really important, and as corny as it sounds, and I've said it before on podcasts that deal with youth um, or trauma, if you're looking at kids and youth, they are our future. They so are. So we need to get it right the first time through with them. So there is... Oh. I don't want to say there's no do-over, but there's no really do-over. So we need to do our best to help them now. Yes, and I want children to know that every negative thing has, has gold in the middle of it somewhere. And your job is to deal with that shock, that negative thing, whatever it is, not take it personally, but learn what you can, and then you take what you learned and live it and that will only increase your power your resilience your ability to succeed and that's what every negative is for and that's why it's negative and it don't worry about that worry about what you want out of it down the line that's, that's wonderful where it matters and yes. you can benefit from all of it but if everything's good all the time, you've got nothing to learn. That is so true. I, you know, going along with what you said, with every positive, there's a negative, which means that yeah. with every negative, there's a positive. So yes. uh, balance, balance. Yes, yes. And trust the process and trust yourself. Yeah. Trust that uh. you have what it takes to overcome 
and triumph. You can do anything any adventurer ever did. And you are on the biggest adventure in the world, your life. It's the biggest adventure ever and there's no excuse for cutting it short. Trust it. It's never a negative thing. It's always to learn and overcome and become. And it's never, it never ends. Sally, um, this has been wonderful. I mean, it's been helpful. It's been uh, enlightening. And again, bottom line, it's been very, very helpful. And I think people are going to get a lot out of this. So thank you very much. You're welcome. I really appreciate you, Chuck. You're such a lovely, lovely soul. And I see your purity and your kindness and your goodness. And I see that you are on your own positive path. And I, I can't wait to see where you go because I can feel that you've got, you've got star power there. Yeah. Well, thank you. I hope you found this podcast with Sally Raymond to be informative, uh, perhaps enlightening, and of some use to you or somebody that you know that is depressed or, you know, just for information for you, for a just in case. And remember, as I said in the beginning, there are a lot of resources out there. If you're feeling depressed or feeling down or you just need to talk to somebody, there is someone or an organization out there for you to do that. Many of them are free. Many of them charge. But do yourself a favor by reaching out. And as I said, if you get the help and you find yourself going through this and working through it all you now become or can be a resource to so many other people and you can help out people all right so you know Sally and I kept on talking after the this podcast ended and we talked about a few other things so I put that in a second short podcast so that's going to be coming up here very shortly uh, so please look for that again please like share follow and leave a comment really appreciate it and that does something to the algorithm and helps boost our show ratings so with the boost of the show ratings more people watch and listen which means i can get more guests and if you have any suggestions on guests that you would like to hear from let me know and i'll do my best to get them on there or perhaps the subject matter or maybe you yourself would like to be a guest so once again thanks for joining me thanks for joining us and remember you can go to sally's website which is sally a raymond dot com. Thanks. Bye-bye.